It's Josh Rubin here in New York with the latest edition of the Rubin Special. And I have to tell you that if I uh, seem a little uneasy, that's because I am. And that's just my adrenaline pumping through my veins for uh, the Enigma. The one, the only, Sharon Srivatsa, longtime friend of mine, always been a fan. Thank you so much for taking the time on your hectic schedule to join us today, Sharon. Hey, Josh, man. Hey, I appreciate you for having me on. I, you know, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, you don't need to do this. Uh, you don't need to do this. And you are making the time, making the cadence, making the effort to get some great people on to share really great ideas with the world. So I uh, want to thank you for having me and actually thank you for making the effort to create this uh, the space for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And uh, anything we can do to uh, come together uh, to, to get better and use this as an opportunity to share with one another what's working, what challenges we're facing, and how we're overcoming them is really what it's all about for us. Yeah, yeah, awesome, man. Well, thank you for having me. Excited to, excited to jump in, excited to kind of bring some, uh, bring some heat today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for those of you who know Sharon, you know uh, what a force he is. And for those of us who are just joining us uh, for the first time and aren't familiar with Sharon, uh, uh, he had a career in finance. Uh, he was at Goldman Sachs for a number of years and uh, he settled with his uh, family in Southern California. Uh, he came together and founded a company called TELUS Properties and built that into uh, a force within itself. TELUS, of course, was, uh, that's T-E-L-E-S, that was acquired by none other than Douglas Elliman in their expansion plans for California. Uh, and Sharon has gone on to uh, start various marketing consulting services with uh, Kingston Lane and most recently, uh, with Brand Academy with his uh, colleague, Dean Aguiar. And so, Sharon, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your experience with Brand Academy recently? Yeah, totally. So, so Josh, you know, here's the crazy part, man. I, you, first, I got to tell people this. When, um, when the Element deal went down with TELUS, you were like the first person I texted, right? I was like, have you heard? Like, have you heard? Because I was like, <laughs> I, if, if Josh doesn't hear this from me, he will punch me. So like the day, as soon as we were ready to tell people, you were like my first text message. So I, I think you and I, I remember that day vividly. We're like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. So um, yeah. I remember that day fondly, man. So uh, thank you for having me. Thank you. This has been it's been a fun ride. Just getting to know you, watching your success has been amazing. The one thing that I just, uh, I got to tell people, the one thing that I love about you is that in, in this world of a lot of noise, you are the, 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 the fastest, straightest straight shooter. And uh, I love it because I always know where I am with you, which allows me to always pick up wherever I left off with you. So um, uh, even if time passes, I always know that uh, I can hang out with you and, and get connected anytime. So thank you for just being a stud that you are, dude. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I, I love to keep it real. So yeah. Uh, so dude, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick story about, um, about the brand stuff, right? So if you think about the world, like 15 years ago, right, there was only uh, three ways in which you could literally get your message across. So essentially you were either on, you either need to get it on TV or you need to get on radio or you need to get in print. And most, especially folks in the real estate business were like, well, I don't have a $200 million budget, so I'm not getting on TV. I don't have a $10 million budget. I'm not getting on radio, so I have to get in print. And if I can't get in print, I'm going to just send direct mail and I'm going to door knock. I'm going to do all of that stuff, right? But, but Josh, the world has changed so much that TV is right now Josh Rubin TV. Like this is TV, 
right? Yeah. And this is the coolest part. Like we we are in on your channel right now, which is so amazing. And so I was thinking, in today's world, you need a platform, right? You need you need to have something to stand on to to have your message come across. And so my kind of my perspective on the world is, how can we actually enable and encourage people to saying, hey, listen, stop saying that you you can't afford TV or radio or whatever. You can create a platform today and that platform, you can build a brand where you can stand on top, stand on top of this little mountain that you've built and shout out your message on what you believe, which will hopefully attract clients, fans, et cetera. So you can do more business and have a wonderful life. And that, that's been like my entire goal where to say, today we can manufacture celebrity, which you could never do without a lot of money 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, no, that's that's really remarkable in that in that you can actually create your own brand and you can measure its awareness almost like an aperture depending on what you decide to target on it. It's almost like a magnifying glass in the sun in in its power. Yeah, totally. And the funny part is this: people don't realize that, especially when there's more noise, right? And we're in we're in a time where of, of uncertainty, unprecedented uh, time in the world. When you come out of something like this people are going to gravitate towards the safety of a brand. And that's why the safety of your personal brand right now is super important. Like in, it, as I come out of this, I'm interviewing fewer people. I'm choosing products that I already kind of have a sense and awareness about. That's why a brand building a brand is super important. And so oh, in the olden days, brand was just like, hey, I'm going to put a bunch of money and put a bunch of advertising out. Like in today's world, what you were doing is so great because you're not saying, look at me, I'm Josh, I'm amazing. What you're saying is, hey, I'm committed to delivering insane value and this is my message and here's who I connect with and let me create that platform to share that with you. And that instantly manufactures a celebrity for you furthermore than you already have. So that's what I'm super stoked about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're so passionate about, about marketing and about brand awareness. Where do you think you derive that passion from? So, uh, I, dude, you're super insightful. So, let me give you a fun story. You and I probably have not shared this before. So, my dad and mom, uh, very, uh, you know, middle class folks. I was born in India, and my dad was a professor of English at a local university. Made no money. My mom was a nutritionist. Made no money. And my dad, at some point, was like, "I can't do this anymore." So, my dad and mom started a small uh, advertising agency. And I was in a, in out of our one bedroom apartment, and I literally got an MBA in in branding and marketing, like, you know, I, I would live that, I would watch them build creatives every single day. And my, my dad basically told me, he goes, I can tell a story about anything to anybody, right? Like that's the coolest thing when you hear that. And so you get super excited because when you can actually tell a story to somebody about a pain, problem, opportunity that they have and give them what, what my dad always called a bigger and better future. Like the, the entire reason for marketing is what, right? Like we're creating this bigger and better future in someone's mind. And when they see this bigger and better future, they want to buy, they want to invest, they want to grow, right? And everyone is like, uh, it's all about anytime we do any kind of marketing, it's about creating this bigger and better future. Dude, I remember the story when I was talking to you and you told me you, you met with a client and you not talked to, you never met this person seven years. And when you showed up at their, at their, uh, at their apartment for the appointment, they pulled out a stack of like 70 of your postcards. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, and yeah. there's a reason, there's a reason for that, right? there's a reason is you, every time you sent them something, you created a bigger and better future for them you were the one that and, and then you were the one that can get them there what people don't realize is 
people think that we need to tell people that we can get them there. I, I don't think that's it. If you can just say, here is the bigger and better future, they automatically assume that the person telling the story is the one that get, can get them there. That's why I think we need to get away from look at me marketing to look at where I can take you marketing, right? And that's the cool part because we can all tell the story of look at where I can take you. That's way easier than saying, look at me. Yeah, it really is about making the people aware of their futures and, and what, you know, what can help them accomplish their objectives in, in my experience, right? Yeah, totally. And, and dude, there's no better time to tell that now. Can you imagine how fun it is for us to say, hey, I just hanging out with my client, Sharon. Uh, I remember the first time I met, met him 18 years ago, he and I were having coffee on the 63rd and 3rd in the, in, 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 you know, in the Upper East Side. He, you know, he, had, he was this analyst at Goldman Sachs. He didn't have any money, but I knew I saw the sparkle in his eyes. And then from there to now, this is what happened. He now owns this. He, like you're telling the story, right? That's when yeah. this stuff gets super exciting. And people like need to start telling the story about this bigger and better future because then people are totally drawn into the message. That's right. And so, you know, people today are so curious here in the city uh, about urban living and how New York has been such a concentration for this virus. So, you know, in terms of people's futures, there is a high degree of uncertainty. People are thinking, you know, do I still want to live in my apartment? Do I want a bigger apartment? Do I want a smaller apartment? Do I want to move to Connecticut, New Jersey, or even Orange County, California? Yeah. So <laughs> how, 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 do we, how do we paint the picture for those people as to you know what their future might be. Yeah, so you know I always talk about this, and and um, I I think in a time when there's uncertainty, uh, you know we we deal with objections with options. So I always say options, not objections, right? So when someone gives me the objection of, uh, at least it's mentally they have this objection, right? Like what do I do? Do I can you do open houses? Can you sell my home? Are there buyers? When they have this objection. And in time of uncertainty, instead of actually giving them what I know, I give them the options. We're like, oh, Josh, that's interesting that you want to do that. Well, let's talk about the options. Hey, you can have this, you can have that, you can have this, you can have that. Great. Let's, let's actually walk down these four options. And then now when you walk down these options, it allows them to lean forward a little bit into their lives and say, ah, I really... Like, I really don't want to live in snooty Newport Beach. Like, I really don't want to do that, right? Like, they, they start to figure that out pretty quickly. But, but if you can't get people to live into an option, they can't really foresee where that option could go. So anytime someone in a time of uncertainty pushes me with any kind of objection, I always say, you, you want to receive it with safety, right? You're like, okay, I totally hear you, Josh. I hear that. Like, let's talk about the options. Like, our script should instantly be, I hear that. Let's talk about the options. Now, the client is like, okay. Sharon's not telling me what to do. Sharon's laying out the options. I believe that Sharon's a great advisor, right? And that, again, makes it a he's the vehicle for my bigger and better future. Yeah, love it. That sounds, that, that sounds like a lot of conversations I've had recently where people are uncertain about their future and we just talk about, you know, the potential outcomes. Yeah, to totally right. And, and the interesting part is nobody... Uh, and nobody's expecting us to have the crystal ball. They just like literally, Josh, you know this. They just want safety, right? They just want a feeling of safety. That's all they want. And if and if every conversation they can have with you, they're like, oh my gosh, it's Josh Rubin calling. I know that every time I talk to Josh when I'm done, I feel better. Like they will just take your call more. Like that's literally all it is. And it's our job to not. It's not about the doom and gloom, but it's just that when they get done, regardless of the world outside, if they feel like. Josh will take care of me. That's all That's all we're trying to promote because the feeling of safety is actually the only thing that beats the uncertainty, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so 
when you when you started as an analyst at Goldman, <clears throat> how did you pivot into real estate? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, I so I got to I got to Goldman after business school, and uh, it was it was a great experience. It was. I actually was there during during the growth and during the 2008 crash, so it was not a not a fun time to be. I, mean, I, I know Josh, you remember you you probably remember you know 2008 2009 super vividly, just watching the stuff crumble, right? And yeah. what happened was at that time, uh, one of my clients was actually has has been my partner for a long time in many ventures. One of my clients had invested in a small real estate company in Beverly Hills, just as a passive investor. Because his broker at that time was actually the founder, who's Peter Hernandez, who you know. And so his and and so what happened was he'd invested in this company and it had it had one office uh, in in Beverly Hills and 35 agents and it was doing okay. But the founders at that time started to kind of have had different philosophies going in the wrong direction. The company was fine. The founders were not kind of getting along. So uh, my client said to me, "Hey, I invested in this company." They're not going to listen to me. They'll probably listen to a Goldman banker. Do you spend some time chatting with them and like help them think through the growth of the business? So, dude, I flew out to California, spent some time with them. And then I told my partner, I was like, this is a gold mine. This is an amazing opportunity. The partners are not getting along. How, how about we take over and we run this business? And it was a total. And he's like, you're going to pull me out of retirement to run this business. And I was like, I really think I can operate this because we have an amazing opportunity on our hands. So we bought out, we bought out the partners and then turned the business around and took it from, you know, as you know, one office and 35 agents to 22 offices and just 650 agents. And it was, it was a very specific growth strategy. Like Josh, I knew nothing about real estate whatsoever. Like it was a, just looking at an opportunity <laughs> and, uh, and just saying, Hey, how can I, how can I actually drive people around a great opportunity? Wow. That's amazing. So you took it from one to 22 offices, did you say? Correct. And in what amount of time? So it was um, in about in about five in five years we did ten x. So we we went from roughly doing not you know uh, it, it, it's three hundred million sales, but say thirty five agents to six hundred fifty agents in about six years total. So it was uh, it was a pretty pretty fast growth curve for us. Yeah, and so uh, going in and out. I mean, what 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 do you think is going to be uh, sort of do you, do you see yourself getting back into that business specifically, not not in terms of the periphery as a consultant or marketing, but actually as a, as an operator? Yeah, you know, it's funny you ask me that. I um, every it's being away from the business for a little bit, I really miss it. Uh, I, I I tell you, there are times where I tell my I tell my wife, I'm like, I I wish I had, I really wish I still had Telus, and because it was a it was a it was this this, this, this baby that I could say, I could put new ideas in, I could play with it. I love the people. I understood the business. I would love to do something in the real estate business again at, at the core with the people. I think I miss the people and I miss the, the growth of the people. Do you, um, well, one thing that I love Josh is watching, is watching agents just create something from nothing. Like literally yeah. the, the greatest joy I have is I'll talk to an agent and the agent will say, Oh, I, I have nothing in my pipeline. And then I'll share. I'm like, hey, here are three text messages you can send today. And they will go do that. And then they'll come back and say, I got I got four appointments. And then the four appointments turned into three deals and they change the very financial bloodline of their family. Like that is so 
like so insanely motivating for me to like watch other people grow. And so I sure. will, um, I'm, I am, I, I think you're probably on the first, probably the first one that's asked me. I am very, uh, I'm, I, I'm very interested in, in being back in that world in some way, uh, being in the, being kind of in the orbit is not as exciting for me. And so I'd like to, I'd like to find a way to, I'd like to find a way to, you know, kind of the next big venture would be, I'd like to find a way to get back into the core. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, just knowing you as I do, you have such an incredible energy, magnetism and willingness to help that I, I think it could only benefit, you know, both agents, brokers, buyers and sellers. And it, it seems like a pretty good fit for you. Uh, but, you know, obviously you have, uh, you have some other plans and uh, other ventures going on and you've done exceptionally well since, uh, since going off and exploring those. So I, I uh, applaud you. Uh, for what you've done in the interim. Hey, thanks, man. It's been it's been a fun ride. I think what I've learned is, I've I've when I think when you are away from something, and you miss it, um, it 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 tells a story, right? And and I think that's that's been I, I never thought that, uh, but being away from it, that I feel a uh, like I I'll tell you this, I never ever missed. Wall Street. Like I'm glad that I'm never going back. Like I was, I enjoyed yeah. my time. I, I put in my hours. I appreciate it. I learned a ton, but I never woke up in the morning thinking, ah, I wish I was back at Goldman. Like that would, I never had that thought. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but, but when you, when you miss something, it's almost like, dude, I think I talked to you about this. Um, I think when you and your wife went to uh, Turks and Caicos or something, I can't, I think it was one of those trips when you told me, uh -huh. Uh, I wish I was like, I wish I was back there. Right. Like you, I, I, we all wish we were back on the beach, but very few times do we say, hey, I wish I was back there. Right. And that's, that, that means that that was, there was a special connection there. You, you were at peace there energetically. You were connected there. Like all that, all the, all the weird woo woo stuff is actually important in how we run our lives. Yeah, absolutely. So it, you know, it's interesting that you grew up in sort of a marketing family. At what point did, did, uh, did you end up uh, moving to the States? Yeah, so um, uh, I'll give you a fun story. I don't know. If, I don't know if I shared this with you. So my my parents, I was a, um, I was not. I was not kind of like your your typical kid. I I I was colorblind. Um, so they kicked me out of art class. I was tone deaf. They kicked me out of music class. I was a young scrawny kid. So I got was the last to be picked in sports. Uh, I was not a very scholastically smart student, and do, and and I don't share this often, but. I, because of all that stuff, it was very easy to get bullied. And for many, for close to 20 years, I never even told my parents that, but Josh, there was a time when I wouldn't walk from one classroom, like 20 feet to another classroom in middle school, just knowing that I was going to get beaten in the lockers, like bullied in the locker. So I would run all the way like circuitous around campus to get to the other classroom, just so I wouldn't get bullied and beaten. And I, and I, and it's important to share that, um, uh, you know, so it's some vulnerability because I didn't tell my parents about this. My dad like figured it out at some point. He, I mean, like parents know they they know that something's wrong, and yeah. so he said to me, he's like, "Hey, uh, you know, maybe there's a better maybe there's a better environment for you elsewhere in the world." And I was like 11, and my dad's like telling me he's gonna like send me out of the country. I said, "I feel I now I have feelings of abandonment too, right?" So so I'm like. <laughs> Like, what are you doing? So, but that my dad, you know, for not having left India, is a really smart guy. And Josh, what they did was they were not super well off. Um, they actually, they, they sold, ev my parents sold every single thing that they had, everything that they had. And they wrote me one check for one year 
of college in the US. And my dad basically said, hey, I'm glad you got in. I'm glad you're going. Here's one check. This is all we can afford. It is everything that'll pay for for one full year of school. The next three years are on your own. If you can't make it, come back and we'll take care of you. Like they gave me a safety net. And I, um, that, I know and for that, I, I, I am so grateful to them. I've never been, it's been, it's, it's been more than 19 years since I've even been back to India, uh, just because it was a, it was a tough, dark period for me. But my parents gave me kind of the gift of, uh, you know, getting out to give me again, a better, bigger and better future. Right. That's just literally what it was. And, yeah. um, my, like my, I remember my, pa- my parents sold my, my dad even had a, he had one of those, he, we lived in the city and my dad had one of those scooters, right? Like that, that you kind of navigate a busy city around and, and he, I remember that my dad had to sell his scooter to ride the bus to work so that he could pay, he could send me to school. Like he sold, they sold everything. And th- there, there's a lot of sacrifice that you, you know, when, when things get tough, you wait and you're like, wait a minute, if I can't pony up and have a tough conversation, if I can't step up and have the right conversation, then all that my parents did at that point it, it, it is to waste because they they risked their lives for me and put everything on the line for me. I, I'm required to do the right thing. I'm required to step up. I'm required to work hard. I'm required to bust it because that's the only fair thing to do. So um, that is in a strange way. I don't share that often. In a strange way that drives me a lot because if I have to pull a 16-hour day, I always think back and be like, hey, I owe it to what they did for me to show up and do the work because uh, that's what they would have, you know, hoped for what I, who I had become. So um, that's that, that, but I, when I showed up in the States, I had no money, but it was, it was, but I made, I made the next three years work, but without my parents kind of giving me that first year, I would have never been able to make it. Yeah. That's a, that's a remarkable story, Sharad. So, so you, if I'm understanding this correctly, you, you grew up in India and then when you went to college, that was sort of the first time you had been to the, the United States. Yeah, exactly right. And so I, I knew nobody here. I just showed up the first time and uh, I was like, this is awesome. Uh, how do how do I pay for the next three years of school? <laughs> right. Which actually leads me to my next question. You know, your dad gave you that check for the first year. How did you get through, you know, the, the ensuing uh, second, third and, and assuming there was a fourth year? Yeah. So um, so the the the. I got really lucky, so I, um, I'll tell you a really fun story. And it, it, you almost, the details are super important. So this was the time when I was, when, I, when internet was getting popular in college dorm rooms, right? There was no Wi-Fi or anything. This was like hardwired internet. So I walk into my dorm room and um, it's a, and Josh, I kid you not, it's door. There's a bed under, a bed, a closet and a desk and a window. So one, a bed closet, desk, and a window on the right. Bed closet, desk, and a window on the left. It's a two-person room. Yeah. And then yeah. right... I think, been, I think I've been in your room, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so It's so crazy because, because right when you enter the door, there was um, this big gray box. And the box was the, the internet box where you plugged in the ethernet cable. And But then I was like, no one thought through this because the, the ethernet cable has to go from the, the box all the way from the bed to the closet to the desk where you would put your desktop computer. And right. so I was like, how am I going to get this Ethernet plugged in? So I went to Radio Shack and I was like, well, I need 18 feet of cable to do this. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, I was li- it was in a small town. I was like, there's, there's 4,000 dorm rooms. A lot of people need 18 feet of cable. So me and my roommate, my roommate had, a, uh, had his parents' credit card. 
my, I had this idea. So I, I got in my room, you know, Ford F-150 pickup truck. We drove to Minneapolis. We drove to the Mall of America. It was like a big fries or something. And we bought as much uh, Ethernet cable as we could. And I didn't have any clothes because I came from India. So I just put all the Ethernet cable in my closet. And we <laughs> sold Ethernet cable to close to 3,000 dorm rooms in the first three weeks. And I, I sold it at three bucks a foot. And uh, we and made, bought, uh, we you made, bought it for, you bought it for, uh, not a lot. For? Yeah. So we, it was like 80% margins. And so, uh, we made 58,000, we made roughly $58,000, um, in three weeks. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. That in, is in an cash. incredible story. Uh, in cash. Obviously. Right. Yeah. See so these yeah. bundles of money. Uh, I mean, unbelievable. That is an incredible story. And so you Dude, I didn't even have I didn't I didn't even have a bank account because I was I just got to the US. <laughs> so like every every three weeks I would take I would take like a thousand dollars in cash and then go deposit it in my account. It Smart. took me a whole because year you, to put all the money in my account. Right, because if you if you show up with I believe it's more than ten thousand dollars in cash or something on a deposit, correct, they automatically yeah. have to have to report you and you have to fill out all sorts of papers. I I, uh, I learned that from Ozark. Believe it or not. Yeah, that's right. Hey, Netflix. Uh, Netflix can teach you everything, my man. Yeah, I was I was actually reminded of you know when they talked about depositing the cash in Ozark. I was reminded of when I was in high school. I had this idea that I was going to go uh, throw these parties uh, for you know anywhere really anyone that wanted to come, but it was primarily promoted to kids that were say fifteen to twenty years old. And uh, so after after these parties, I would have bundles of cash, and I would show up at the bank. And here I was. I just had. I was. I was 15 years old. I had a part-time job, maybe making five or six dollars an hour. But I would throw these parties once every month, once every other month, and I would show up with like five to seven thousand dollars. And you know, I'm like a good U.S. citizen. So what do you do with cash? Well, you don't just put it in a box in your room you you actually go to the bank and you deposit it you know it's, it's legitimate it's hard it's hard work and so i went to this bank with the cash and the teller looked at me like what what are you up to i know you're up to something what are you up to? he didn't say that but he had this air about him and i was just like Woo, it's my money you know deposit it and so uh it was it was interesting back in those days and so where, where 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 were you uh at school that you were doing this uh, ethernet cable uh, business. I was at um. So I was at a small school in in Iowa called Luther College, and um, uh -huh. and it's a funny story actually. I um my my parents said, hey, to get out of India, you need to have some kind of skill. So I was like, okay, cool. And so my my parents said, hey, what about we pick an individual sport? So I started playing tennis. Uh, put put uh, academics in the back burner as secondary. Play tennis, and got decent because I started a little later, I, decent, uh, I got decent at it. And I actually got good enough to play on the kind of pro tennis tour, but like the lower, lower circuits, not the, not, the, not the Wimbledons of the world. But then I didn't realize that once you play pro tennis, you can't play college tennis. I had no, I didn't know you could go, you can't go from pro amateur status because I had no idea. So I, all, all the, uh, all the division one schools, like the Ohio States and the Michigan States of the world, like rescinded my offer to play really? tennis there because I had no idea. So I had to go. So I was like, okay, well it's last minute. So I went to play division three because you can do that and it's not, um, you know, a violation. So I, I didn't have an athletic scholarship or anything, but 
it was I still got to get out, which was which was great. So the the fastest way I could get out and still play still play tennis, still be Division three was that's how I picked a small school and uh, and did that. But otherwise, I would have been at one of the big guys um, playing tennis. But I, I'm actually glad because there was nothing really in cornfields of Iowa. It was like a small campus and forced me to have some great relationships. Yeah, I can I can imagine how that would enable you to focus on what's most important, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Sharon, you know, going forward, uh, where do you think we as real estate professionals, as buyers and sellers, where do you think we are in, say, six and 12 months? Josh, it's a great question. I, I don't know. Um, and I think that oh, it's, it's, it's one of those times where I literally am, I, I literally don't know. Uh, and, and I think that I've become okay with saying that I don't know. And uh, it, it's because it's really hard to make the prediction and be like, I, because we live in, in strange, interesting times. What I'll tell you is two things. One, um, I've changed who I'm listening to. So I've audited who I'm listening to. And there's two people that, there's two groups of people that I'm, two specific people that I'm listening to. I believe that the, I am, I've chosen not to listen to anybody whose predictions are not actually used by themselves. So what I mean by that is if, you know, Sharon gets on Fox News or whatever and is, is espousing a story about what's going to happen in the real estate world or the markets or whatever, then but, but tomorrow Sharon can come and change his tune. Well, that's not OK with me because there is no accountability in that. So the two people, two groups of people that I'm listening to are these. The first group, and I only because I have some experience with it, is I'm listening to Goldman Sachs. And let me tell you why, because. What I've realized is if Goldman puts out a piece of research, they are actually acting on that piece of research for their business. And you know what? That means a lot to me. They're saying, hey, here's, here's what's happening with oil. Here's what's happening with the world. We are betting on this, and therefore, we're betting on our own research. And I think that there's a lot of courage that goes with you know, eating your own dog food. Literally any other firm that that's kind of saying, here's what's going to happen with the world. I, I do not care because they can come out tomorrow and change their tune. And from an accountability perspective, that's really hard for me. The The second is, you know, this guy, I, I am listening a lot to Ray Dalio at Bridgewater. Sure. Uh, total stud. What I love about what he's talking about is he's lived through what four of these and he's saying, hey, let me educate you on the infrastructure and the mechanics of how markets work. And so what I'm saying is, hey, I, I don't think we need to know how the world, like what's happening, but I think we need to be able to tell the difference between who's full of crap and who's not. And I think just, just, just that alone, right? Just if we can just enable our radar on, hey, that doesn't sound like what I should be, just, just, just the ability to make that distinction. And I think Ray does a really good job of that. He, uh, his stuff is, very, is free and public. So it's for a lot of people who are thinking about Ray Dalio by Bridgewater, just Google him on, uh, go to his LinkedIn page. He's written some amazing, like, you know, short white papers on it. I've been devouring Ray Dalio's stuff, Josh. Yeah. And I've been talking to my old team at Goldman and I'm just, I'm devouring all of the Goldman research. And their predictions are that you know, as we come out of this, this will be uh, th this will be stronger. But we're 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 not in a typical recession. We're almost some, looking like there's going to be a restructuring of the world in a way in which because the entire world's printing a lot of money to get us out of this. So, uh, what does that mean? I don't know what that means for the world with money and credit. I think local businesses and all that we will come out of this just fine. My question is, what happens to the new world order? That's so from a macro perspective. I'm more curious about that because. Yeah. 
because it's not just the US going and doing a currency crisis or it's just not Japan having deflation. Every single country in the world is has is printing money to create, you know, liquidity for their citizens. And so what does that mean for the new world order? And that's why I don't know how to how to answer it, but what I am thinking is from a real estate perspective, uh, if if you print more money, hard assets become more valuable. Like so, so if you just take that, right? Um, gold is kind of weird because you can't really hold gold bullion. Like you and I hold a lot of gold bullion in our houses, and just totally. <laughs> but you and I can. But 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 other than the second, other than gold, the thing that you can touch, feel, and have uh, some kind of relationship with from an asset perspective that you can actually borrow on. Like you can't even borrow to buy gold, right? Like but you can borrow to buy real estate. So the ability to actually acquire an asset that will stand the test of time, regardless of the fluctuations of what money means. Uh, that's So I, I believe that over kind of the next 10, 15, 20 years, uh, real estate will have a good run because you'll see a flight to quality to real assets. And that makes me feel like real estate's a good bet overall, just because of the flight to quality to real estate. Sure. And it's, you know, it's a tangible asset, as you pointed out, uh, you know, similar to gold and, you know, and why, it, why gold is typically uh, one of those safety nets that people flee to in times of uncertainty, yeah. uh, you know, because you can use it uh, because others can use it and you know, pay you rent on investment properties. So it's definitely going to be a little bit more stable uh, than some other asset classes for sure. But I'll, I'll tell you, Sharon, in, in, in my conversations that I've had with our colleagues, one of the things that gives me uh, great comfort is knowing the activity uh, that top agents are seeing in other regions and knowing that this is sort of a, a temporary um, position that the New York metro area is in. And once activity resumes, I think it's going to do so with gusto uh, because we're, we're talking to people in Southern California. Uh, you know, my friend Eric Crumbaker just did uh, you know 16 deals in the last 30 days. Uh, I know Tom Toole in Philadelphia is doing the same. Uh, we have colleagues in Florida, which are having some of their best months ever. So it's not it's not a national crisis. It doesn't mean that that people across the board are battening down the hatches just because we are in New York. I mean, I'm coming to you live from, you know, uh, my basement, right? And and I'm going out as little as possible. So I know that many people are doing the same. But you know, we're still taking listings. We're still fielding inquiries from buyers, and so that gives me assurance that when things open up and the sky's clear that we will be back to normal. However, the, nor the new, the, what is the new normal? No one knows, right? Right, right. exactly right. Yeah. And, and, and I think this is, uh, if, if anyone can do anything at this time, especially if you are an advisor, um, I think the world of marketing has changed a little bit right now. And uh, uh, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a hard sell fear mongering kind of guy. That's just not kind of how, how I roll. I, I feel weird about it. But I think we have an opportunity right now to, to change our one-to-many marketing to one-to-one. -to -one. And uh, I think our clients just need to hear from us. And I don't even think it needs to be like fancy. I think it can be as simple as a, like a voice memo or a text message or a short video, something like that. It just gives people some safety that, hey, hey, it's Josh. I'm just checking in. Listen, I'm not nothing, nothing to do. I just want to check, make sure your family is doing well. And let's not go offer, you know, let's not go offer to take their dry cleaning. Like that's not our job. They just right. want to know that, Hey, some, any inbound of people checking in on them is really good. And, I, and, and the reason why I like this, Josh, is the only people checking on us right now are family. So if, if, if other people like our advisors check in on us as well, we automatically get 
lumped into the bucket of family and we get lumped into the bucket of safety. That's why I think it's super important to check in as opposed to any other reason, because we want to kind of occupy that, that space of safety. So if anybody's listening, the reason why top agents around the world are doing well is because they have these big pipelines that are just cleaning out right now, which is really, really good. And they've not stopped their activity, which keeps them in the zone. But, but Josh, there's a lot of people where, you know, there's, there's a pause on a lot of people's business, which is fine, but you're right. I think it's temporary. Hopefully the world kind of opens back up and, uh, we're going to have to do business a little differently going forward. Though. I'm, I'm curious about how that looks. Yeah, yeah, that, w- that would be uh, interesting. I think the, the idea of open houses is probably behind us. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. I think once we have a vaccine, things will return you know, back to the, the normal that we knew pre, say, you know, March 13th. Um, so, you know, Sharon, one last question for you before we let you go. Uh, do you have any hidden talent? I know you mentioned tennis, but aside from that, something that, that people might not know about you. Mark Pattison from uh, San Diego shared that he's a uh, speed skater. Um, the hidden talent. Um, I can. I I I think I I know. There's no. That's not a talent, but maybe um, I know almost every capital of every country in the world. Wow. So, uh, and I'll give you a story of how this happened. And it's it's um after this was before the breakup of the USSR, so I didn't have to memorize like forty seven <laughs> countries, right? Kazakhstan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is Tashkent, by the way. So, it, like, I I know that, but but the interesting part of it is, um, I remember this where I was sick for three weeks and I didn't go to school when I was a kid. And my mom, and you know, during that time, I didn't know what was on a test. And so all I knew that there was a test coming up. So my, it was a geography test. And my mom was like, well, since we don't know what to learn, we're going to learn everything. <laughs> so like, I just memorized the first six chapters of this book and like chapter six, like chapter five was minerals of the world. And I think chapter six was like every capital. So my mom literally made me memorize every capital of every country in the world. And because of that, I kind of and Josh, it's a great ice baker, by the way. So if you meet somebody and, and someone says, oh, I'm from Botswana, you're like, oh, you're from Gaborone. The guy's like, wait, what? You've been to Gaborone? And, and now it's, a, it's, it's suddenly you have, this, you have this connection. I talked to this agent. It was a great agent in Colorado Springs. And she said to me, just never met her. And she's like, oh, I'm like, where are you from? She's like, Latvia. I'm like, you're from Riga? She's like, you know Riga? And like instantly we had this bond, which, which you may think it's a weird talent, but from a from a rapport perspective, it changes everything. So, talk about uh, it's the only little skill that I have. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Did you ever have any goals with that skill to uh, actually visit these capitals? No, no, I did. I, I like I, I think I, I think I shared when we're off air. I love being home so much. Um, yeah. I. I you couldn't pay me to leave. Like I love just not going anywhere. I hate getting on a plane. I love like this time is it's like a gift for me. I love being home and it's amazing. And I get more time with my family. So um, no, I didn't, didn't really pursue any of those goals, but it's, it's been, it's been fun to kind of, it's been fun to be home, but uh, trying to pass that skill on to my kids. So I, I quiz my kids that way I can transfer this capital skills to them. That's awesome. Sharon, Sharon Srivatsa, thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure spending time with you, and I'm sure our friends will derive lots of value from your insights. You're incredible. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you, man.